from uh, the Living Translation, the New Living Translation. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, we are reading verses 1 to 7. Even the wilderness and the deserts will be clad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with the spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, he strengthened those who have tight hands and encouraged those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will cast forth in springs will cast forth in wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become pool, and springs of water will satisfy the green land, the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish with the desert jackals once lived. Morning. Thank you so much for reading, Paul. I feel like I could just give Paul anything to read and I could sit there and listen to it all day. It's great. Uh, so, just wanted to start with a bit of a question because we're all say I actually looks a lot fuller when we spread people out. It's great. Um, the passage that Paul just read for us, what do you like about it? Do you know what? What stood out to you? What do you like? Hope. Green. Green land, yeah. The crocuses. <laughs> I think I might have to go home and Google what a crocus looks like. I feel like I think I know what they look like, but I maybe I don't. Yeah, God can make all things new and, yeah, change things from, from one place to another. Yep. Lorraine, do you, ma raising your hand? No. Well, you have to be careful if you move up the back. <laughs> Goodness me, who knows what you might get asked. Uh, so, uh, this is an interesting week um, to be sharing with you, but we are um, continuing on in our series in the snapshots of the life of Jesus. And part of why that's important is that we do want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We do want to keep uh, seeing and focusing on um, who he is and what he's done and who he calls us to be, um, regardless of what life throws at us. So we're actually looking at a passage in Luke today. Um, last week, David looked at the call of the disciples to follow Jesus. Um, and since that call, Jesus has kind of selected some of those disciples to be his apostles, um, the people that would walk closely with him and be the witnesses of what he was doing and saying. And he'd been busy. He'd been healing people and teaching. And in the first part of chapter 7, we read that Jesus healed um, the son, nope. 
yes, the servant of a centurion, and he raised back to life the son of a widow. And news about Jesus had spread. And these stories reached the ears of some of John the Baptist's um, disciples. And here's where we pick up the text that we're going to unpack today. It's in Luke 7, verses 18 and following. If you, oh, someone's all over it for me. Thanks, team. Um, it goes like this. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? So John's two disciples found Jesus and they said to him, exactly as they were told, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses and evil spirits and he restored the sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So, what is happening here? What is going on? We start with John the Baptist hearing about Jesus' actions and sending a couple of his disciples off to ask him a question. John knew who Jesus was, didn't he? He knew him in the womb. We kind of heard about that a number of weeks ago. He had pointed Jesus out as the Lamb of God. He had recognised Jesus' authority when Jesus came to be baptised. He encouraged some of his own followers to follow Jesus. But now, John has a question. And I want us to really hear this question in the way that it's framed. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking? Building into this question are some assumptions. First, there is a Messiah. Second, we know what that person will be like. And third, we're on the lookout. We know what we're looking for. Since John is asking this question, it implies that um, from his actions, Jesus doesn't look like the Messiah. We know there'll be one. We know what he looks like. We're looking. I don't see it. So now John is not so sure that he does know who Jesus is. Screening the land. It's great. John had some expectations about what Jesus might do. The Messiah was going to restore the kingdom. John was looking for that. But Jesus wasn't doing that the way that John expected. And so then in this passage we find that Jesus responds to this question and he doesn't appear to answer the question directly, which is not unusual for Jesus. Jesus' response is, you go tell John what you see. In verse 22, he says, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus' words sound familiar, don't they? They're almost word for word from the verses that Paul Paul read for us. 
It also sounds a little bit like Isaiah 61, which you would have looked at a few weeks ago, I think, where Jesus says that he's been anointed to set the captives free and to preach good news to the poor. There's actually a number of passages in the prophets that have the same kind of feel about them. The reference would not be lost on John. And it would sound familiar to his disciples. They'd have heard these words before. But it doesn't really answer the question. Kind of feel like they would stand there and have this moment. Be like, thanks. I don't know how to go and tell John that that's the answer. But through his response, I think Jesus is saying, you have seen me fulfilling scripture that is about God bringing restoration. This is the work of the Messiah. This is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. This is God's plan. This is God at work. And it's, this is the work that I'm doing. So I think Jesus wants to say, yes, I am the Messiah. No, I'm probably not the one you're expecting, but not because I couldn't have been expected. You need to look again with fresh eyes and adjust your assumptions. What I'm doing is written right there in scripture and you've heard it hundreds of times. So yes, but no, and yes and, yes and no. It's no wonder he doesn't answer the question, right? It's not a great question. John's question is heavy with assumptions. And we're not immune to assumptions, are we, either? We do it all the time. It's actually a really useful part of how our brains are created and it helps with our learning and development. Um, Our assumptions and expectations help us respond and adapt quickly and kind of give our brains a shortcut to interpret the world around us. Neuroscientists have actually found out that not only do our expectations help us interpret the actions of others, they can at times actually change our experience of reality. Our expectations fill in the gaps to the point where we only see what we are looking for, what we expect to see. Um, When we were on our honeymoon, uh, personal story, I've run it past Greg, it's okay. (laughs) You have to worry when it starts with when we're on our honeymoon, it's okay, I promise. (laughs) Greg Greg and I went kayaking and we found ourselves um, in a part of the bay that was a fish sanctuary. It was pretty warm, so after we pulled the kayak in onto the shore, Greg decided that he wanted to go for a dip. So he called me over and said, hey, Sam, come look at these fish. Now, I was looking for and expecting to see teeny, teeny tiny fish, like I think they're called school fish, is that what you told me? Little fish, baby fish. And so I'm looking and I'm looking and I cannot see them. And so I... I I don't know, probably it felt a lot longer, but it was maybe only 10 seconds. And I'm like, where am I looking? Like, you keep saying there are all these fish. I can't, like, what fish? Greg kind of pointed them out. They look like that. They're about this big. There was like, I don't know, 50 of them. So many. And I missed them. They were so much bigger than I was expecting. But once my eyes adjusted and my brain adapted to what I was looking for, I could see them... You see them everywhere. Happens with number plates too. If you ever like look, be like, oh, I've never seen a number plate that starts with a N and then you see them everywhere. You'll all see them on the way home, just so you know. (coughs) Um, Anyway, I had to adjust my expectations. That's what had to happen for me to see what was going on. 
So coming back to the passage, Jesus knows that he's not behaving the way people expected. He realises that. He knows that he doesn't meet their expectations or their assumptions. That's why he says in verse 23, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Jesus' message for John and for us is what do you see me doing? It might not be what you are expecting, but my actions are those of the Messiah. They are God at work in the world. John has asked this question, which shows that maybe he has some doubt. But Jesus doesn't disparage John for that. Not at all. When we keep reading, thank you, you're amazing. Um, from verse 24 and following, goes like this. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people of this generation, Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They're like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread and drinking wine and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man on the other hand feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. It's a really clear passage to preach from, isn't it? It seems to me, though, that Jesus takes this episode with John's disciples. They would have arrived while he was, you know, mid-healing and teaching. So they've arrived, they've asked this question in front of all these people. And he takes this moment as a teaching moment for the rest of the crowd. He says to them, you went out to the desert to see John. You didn't go out because you were seeking more of the same. There was something about John that drew you. It wasn't that he said things that pleased you. He was actually fairly offensive. He wasn't a reed swaying in the wind to win your hearts. He wasn't dressed in finery. He didn't offer luxury. You find those things in palaces, not in the desert. So what was it? Why did you go out? You went out because he proclaimed the kingdom. He declared a new way. But John didn't act in line with people's expectations. And Jesus compares the crowd to children who complain in the marketplace. We did this and you were supposed to do that. Have you ever played, um, played a game with like a, I don't know, like a three or four-year-old? 
and um, you know they ask you to like, will you play shop with me? And you say, oh yeah, of course. And they say, oh you you stand there and you do this, and then you're like, oh okay, and you do it, and then you, oh you're doing it wrong, and then they have to tell you how to do it, and then you have to do it. It's like that. You weren't doing the things that I told you you should be doing. John wasn't eating bread and drinking wine. He was a wild man. He was a prophet. He lived in the desert on locusts and honey. Like, this guy's out there. Because John didn't fit the pattern of their experience, the crowd decided that he was possessed by a demon. You don't fit. You're not quite right. He didn't play by their rules. He would not be controlled by the people. Jesus says here he was the forerunner of the Messiah. He had a mission and that mission wasn't about pleasing people. It's this very thing that had him imprisoned by the ruler of the day. Jesus also didn't fit the pattern of people's experience but for different reasons. Again and again we see it in the Gospels. In all of these snapshots you'll see it. Jesus allows his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath He heals on the Sabbath. He hangs out with people that are unclean and unsavoury. He notices and gives honour to women and children, all things that a good rabbi would not have done. All things that make the religious leaders incredibly unhappy, unhappy enough to plot to kill him. Jesus ate and drank and had a good time with people. Jesus loved a good party. He talked about the kingdom as a banquet. He was not what they expected. That's how you get the kind of reputation that he got. A glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus wasn't what people were expecting. But he was the one that John prepared the way for. Jesus wouldn't be a king of finery and luxury He won't be found in a palace. He wouldn't be a political figure looking to please and negotiate power. He too didn't play by the rules. People could not control him. They could not manipulate him. He would not be their pawn. And when I was sitting with this this week, I went, yeah, and he's not ours either. In our actions and through our lives, do we really recognise that God is God and we are not? For example, when we pray, do we ask for God's help and then proceed to tell him how to answer our prayer? Now, God, if you could just, um, I'd really like work. If you could give me this particular job, that would be great. We've all done it. Or do we ask in prayer, but then expect him not to respond? So we don't actually look for it. We're not looking for answers. We're just asking for help. We're gathered together this morning because we're followers of Jesus. Or we're investigating that or we're seeing what that looks like. As followers of Jesus, we submit to him. We can't control him or manipulate him. And it's not that God doesn't want to hear our concerns, but his purpose is not to please us and cater to our whims. We follow him. We don't tell him what to do.
And God is on a mission. God is at work restoring the world, going after that picture that's in Isaiah 35, that hope, that greenery, that new life, that change. And he's asking us to be part of what he's doing. That's what he's called us to do. So I just want to um, pause now and give us some time to um, some things to reflect on from all of, like, what do we do with all of these things? When we come to Jesus and we're serious about following him, we need to check our expectations. We need to check our expectations and our assumptions of who we think Jesus is and what it means to really follow him. Jesus spent time with outsiders. He cared for those that no one else had time for. He saw potential in people that everyone had written off. Jesus made decisions from a place of humility and compassion. He never sought power. Jesus served. He gave. He created a band of misfits that had such diverse opinions and personalities, but their love for one another built them into a family, a community. 